You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 178, covering Destiny and Profit Motive. Hi friends, it's us. Those guys. These, these two guys. Yep. That now. Yep. Post-Tomic Horror. You know the deal. Yeah. Um, Unless you're new, I guess. Are you I, new? I suppose if you're new, welcome. Yeah. Uh, we, we do a podcast that tells you about Star Trek. Sometimes we're happy about it. Sometimes we're not so happy about it. This time it's... Uh, a little both. Yeah. A little Ooh. both. I would say. I, I think I liked the first one a little more than you did, but uh, I think we both we were both agreed that the second one was a little yeah. Tedious. I didn't really enjoy the first one that much, but it was better than the second one. Well, yeah, but at least it's not past tense, which we have just learned. Everybody loves everyone loves in that through barter except for us. Have you guys heard about this past tense episode? It's amazing. It's the best episode ever. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm amazed it didn't get all the awards back then. It should have gotten 18 Emmys. Yes. The, I, I mean, I, I think at this point they had done away with the best hat guy Emmy. <laughs> like that went well, away when all the TV westerns went off the air. But, well, yes. That episode would have been a shoe-in for best hat guy if that was still around. Yeah, I mean, that hat guy? Who, who Name a better hat guy. I dare. I, I can't. Nope. Maybe. I can't name a better hat guy. Yeah. All I'd be doing is listing worse hat guys, and that's not what you asked me. Nope. We're, we're really not going to let this go, are we? It's just, nope. It continues to boggle our minds. <laughs> just, it's something that we disliked so intensely that everyone else said, what's your problem? It's, this has never happened before. All I can think is, like, can I be wrong? That doesn't sound no, like me. That doesn't sound right at all. Look, I occasionally can... one or the other of us will go out on a limb like this, but not both of us. Yeah. Look, we've been watching Star Trek professionally for quite a while now. Yeah. I would say that no one watches Star Trek as professionally as we do and records a podcast about it. I don't know. I am I am largely unaware of who else is doing this. I know a few other uh, uh, shows have started, mm-hmm. but I don't know of any show that's gotten as far as we have. Nope, none. I don't know. There, there might be. I mean, if there is, I haven't found them, and I've looked. I don't claim to be aware of every podcast. In fact, I'm aware of almost no podcasts. I am aware of every podcast. Ah. Only forty percent of them are made by Kevin Smith. Huh. Yeah. That seems uh that seems high actually. Yeah. Out of all podcasts. So does Paul F. Tompkins often appear on Kevin Smith's shows then? That that seems you, like a mathematical certainty. You would think that, wouldn't you? But it's never happened. Huh. I don't think those two know each other exists. That's very strange. Unless Paul F. Tompkins is in a Kevin Smith disguise, well, then he would be on eighty percent of the podcasts. That makes sense. We're we're just stalling, aren't we? Yes, we're, definitely. I don't know why, because again, I liked this first episode for the most well, part. Let's discuss it. Why don't you tell me about Destiny? Destiny. So DS Nine is welcoming a pair of Cardassian scientists who will be assisting in the construction of a communications relay to the Gamma Quadrant. After all, Bajor and Cardassia have signed a peace treaty now, and nothing says we're friends quite like a joint mission to an area of space that you've been repeatedly warned against visiting. Seriously, somehow everyone still thinks this is a good idea. Even Kira, who somehow manages to put aside her usual I-don't-give-a-damn-what-you-think speech, and welcomes the scientist with her best pretend smile. Then Vedic Baral shows up at... Wait, wait, sorry, he's dead. This is a different creepy Vedic, and he's all aflutter about some vague prophecy about vipers and swords in the sky, which... Apparently can be interpreted to mean some Cardassian scientists are going to show up and help us build a communications relay. The prophecy goes on to say, I'm sensing an S. Does someone in the future have a name that starts with an S? And Cisco stands up and says, well, my last name does. And they realize that last names are actually first names on Bajor, so the prophecy must be talking about him. It's uncanny. Anyway, a third Cardassian shows up, and to the surprise of absolutely no one, she turns out to be with the Obsidian Order. Because you can't have one story with the Cardassians that doesn't involve scheming or backstabbery in some capacity. The wormhole is threatened by a comet, which you'd think they have some way of detecting because it's right the fuck on top of them. I mean, we can do that now to some extent, but eventually the day is saved and Cisco and... Tina? Is there a Tina? No, T- Tira? Kira! That's it, Kira! Just as I predicted! <laughs> that is how that works. 
I yeah, it it really felt like that's how prophecies are. Like yep. in this show and in shows with like actual magic. Mm-hmm. It's such a vague bullshit like, you know, thing. Commander Prophet or Vedic John Edwards is here. <laughs> Vedic Nostradamus in the fourth <laughs> quatrain. <laughs> It's not the same when you don't say it in the Orson Welles voice. Well, right. Nostradamus in the fourth quatrain. That movie where he eats his cigar. I want to eat my way through this cigar. It's delicious. I never noticed that before our friend Pat pointed that out, and now I can't not notice it. He loves eating that cigar. It just Every time they cut back to him, it's a little yes. smaller, but he's not burning it. It's just, <laughs> it's just getting smaller somehow. Anyway, I... Here's the thing. I really like the whole prophets thing. Oh yeah. I like I like the fact that we have a science fiction show that allows us to do this mystical stuff while still having a scientific explanation for it. Like I I like because I like that in fiction. I'm in my personal life I have no interest in this stuff, but mm. but in fiction I like divine intervention and and prophecies and like, you know, that stuff can be really interesting to me. So my my thing with Star Trek has always been, you know, it's fine to have religion in here as long as we acknowledge that, you know, it's wrong. Yeah, but this show has it both ways because yeah. we we've met their gods and they're mm-hmm. real. They're they're weird sort of insubstantial aliens. Yeah, and you know, yet I like this show. Yeah. No, it's see, like, I, hey, I, we pr- is... we proved religion exists. It's right over there. Yeah. That's one of the aspects I really like about the mm-hmm. show is you get to do sort of more personal and also sort of epic stories because you know it, it almost feels like at times it almost feels like sort of old mythology where the gods get directly involved in things yeah which i like i like that adds a whole cool element to it that we don't usually get mm-hmm. and I, I like i mean kira comes out and explains like it's possible this this um vedic or whoever it was in the past mm-hmm was had contact with the prophets they shared their non-linear view of the world to him and yeah. that's the future because the future exists to them as one thing well i mean it's a really good explanation for why a uh i mean you know a pro- like an actual prophet mm-hmm. would exist like someone who had like knowledge of the future right they do have knowledge of the future it's been so, established that yeah. the past and the future and the present are all the same thing to them yeah so they could just tell some dude right hey vedic jimmy but I also um, like it's vague because I, I feel like the, the primitive, like, first of all, even now, they probably couldn't wrap their head around the way the prophets see things. But no. but even further in the past, when they weren't as advanced, they would try to write it sort of as as it made sense to them. It's and like, it, well, this hole in space is going to get attacked by rocks. Ah, vipers, of course. Yes. It's all making sense now. No, you're not listening. <laughs> it's a comet. Uh, yes. Comet of vipers. A comet of swords. A sword of swords. We're just we're just naming George R. R. Martin titles. Now. I we need to communicate with less stupid people on Bayshore. Hey, the Cisco. How you doing? <laughs> hey, buddy. Can you talk uh, to these guys? Because we don't know how. There's a comet that's going to hit the wormhole. Don't let that happen. Right. Also, don't break it. Got it. Ah, you broke it. Damn it. Well, do a spaceship thing. <laughs> But in, in general, I like this. And in fact, my good thing, this was a great episode for Cisco and Kira having to deal with the whole emissary thing. Oh, yeah. Like, it's weird. Both of these episodes actually deal with the, the prophets, the wormhole aliens. Mm. It's like suddenly the show realized mid-season three, oh, yeah, we set this thing up in the pilot that we never came back to. Yeah. It, I mean, it's popped up once or twice, but you'd think... No, the actual it, wormhole aliens haven't, though. No, right? no, they haven't shown up since uh, since we've, the first episode. All, we've occasionally heard about, like, the, the people on Bajor referring to him as the emissary. Yeah. And, and learning, you know, and like Kai Wen last time called him emissary. Like, yeah, because she has to. But but as far as the actual wormhole aliens appearing and doing stuff. Yeah, no, they, they've been, they haven't shown up since the first episode. Right. So it's weird that we're now, you know, like... I don't know, 40, 50 episodes in, and suddenly they're starting to deal with that. I think that's pretty cool. Like We've the, gone profit crazy. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it's a thing that needed to be dealt with. Like, mm-hmm. Cisco's attitude toward being this cultural figure is, like, very uncomfortable. Like, uh, yeah. I don't, don't want to do that. I'm, I'm just a Starfleet guy trying to help out here. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, this is weird. I always, I actually kind of like the idea of both him and Kira just sort of trying to ignore it. Well, yeah, that's what they both did. Yeah, they're both, like, super unco- I Like, I like Kira's 
thing that's just like I work for like Jesus is my boss. Yeah. This is, this is super uncomfortable. And they both I, just decided to focus on the job. Yeah. And not really acknowledge it. But this episode sort of forced them to acknowledge it. And I like that. I like mm-hmm. I like that conflict. And this was a great episode for having both of them sort of realize what's, what's going on. Yeah. But my bad thing is that the episode just blatantly calls it out. There's a couple of scenes. One where the Vedic talks to Kira. The other where Odo talks to Cisco. Right next to each other, by yeah. the way. Where they just openly say... You're uncomfortable with being the emissary. Hey, you're uncomfortable working for the emissary. Like, it's... Show, don't tell. (laughs) Like, it was a little sloppy. I liked liked the actual situation. I just didn't like that the show had to beat it into our heads in exposition. It could be worse. It could be Cisco just like, I don't like that I'm the emissary. Well, that's true. I wish people didn't know I was an emissary. I wish I wasn't an emissary. But I like uh, I like watching him be uncomfortable rather than yeah. just him telling someone that he's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like that's that's much better. Although I do like Odo's. I've noticed that you're uncomfortable being the emissary. How'd you notice that? It's really obvious, yeah. even to me, the guy who doesn't observe. Right. No, he observes things. He observes like crazy. I don't know where that came from. No, I don't either. That was weird. But yeah, I just it like on the one hand I like the situation, on the other hand I don't like the the, the episode. The the, exec- the execution. Yeah, exactly. left something to be desired. Right. But overall, I just, I like this whole setup. I, I yeah. also really like that this is a continuation of the uh, peace treaty with Cardassia thing. Yeah, it's like, it, it's like they sort of, I was reading Memory Alpha, it's like they almost did that as an afterthought and then just kept finding ways to... Uh... Yeah, they're like, oh, well that's why we could bring Cardassians in, because we just did this peace treaty. Yeah, thing. this keeps working for us. It's a really good idea. I love that. Like, there's times when I've written stuff where I got a bunch of pieces and suddenly I just see how they all fit together. Yeah, it all just sort of clicks. Home. Yeah, when that happens. That's the thing you're always chasing when you're writing, man. Yeah. Like, that, oh, that, oh all, of course. All my notes just plug all in, in order here. That's great. Huh. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, shit, I'm good at this. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it was, like, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, like, I, I enjoyed the fact that they have this running continuity. Like, we've yeah. said this over and over again. But still, last week they signed a treaty. This week, Cardassians are there being friendly. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a nice, you know feeling that the actions have consequences. I, I mean, I think it was a fine episode. I just, it, I, it felt like it dragged a lot in the middle. I could see that. Also, you know, that Vedic guy really pissed me off. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Well, I mean, like, he shows up on the, Enter- or, the Enterprise? Good lord. <laughs> we did say the Enterprise for, you know, three seasons of one show and seven seasons of another. It's you know. Yeah, it has been kind of a big deal. Yep. Odd that. No, like, he shows up on DS9 and just like, no, you don't understand. You gotta stop these Cardassians no, from no, coming. No, no, do the voice. You had a problem with his yeah. voice too. You gotta. Yeah, you gotta stop these Cardassians from coming around. <laughs> you sound like Chief Wiggum. I don't remember. I don't remember what he sounds like because we did an entire hour of making fun of Zach. Oh right. And they sort of have that same nasally. Uh... I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. The prophecy says. You haven't. <laughs> Major Kira, you have a problem with how with your the emissary being Cisco. I'm just embracing it at this point. Vedic Zach. That's what they all say. They all say no. Yeah. No, you you but you, this was your bad thing, right? You didn't like that Vedic. No, I fucking hated him. He was Oddly really enough, irritating. The way you have it written down here, it says that fake Vedic guy. What is that? Yeah, mean? and also they reveal that he's not actually a Vedic. He'd been fired like. For his philosophy, for his wrong philosophy, you didn't notice that they said no, they didn't oh. say he was fired. They yeah, said they he said was... he was defrocked. He was de- he was fired from vetting. No, no, he no, wasn't no, no. a vetic was like, anymore. He was like kicked off the council or something, but he's still a vetic. Oh, really? Yeah. No, oh. no. I mean, I I I caught that part. Oh. He was discredited and thrown out of an important thing, but he still gets to be a vetic. He was disvetted. Yeah, something. <laughs> huh. All right. No, so he's not a fake vet. He's, he's, you know, I mean, I imagine he doesn't have, he doesn't carry the clout that, uh... Doesn't that, have uh, much pull anymore. That Burial or, or Wynn or, you know, any of the other guys we've met would. Well, he has a tendency to sneak up behind people and then drop his philosophies on them. I'd fire him for that. <laughs> oh my god, what are you still doing here? Yes, this, uh, this perfectly goes with what I was saying about those guys showing up. Yeah. Uh, is there, uh... Is there a, a flaming something? Flames. I, I'm, I'm sensing flames and a and some kind of of weapon, some kind of sharp sharp weapon. Anybody? Anybody? Does anybody here own a sharp thing? 
Possibly for cutting. Maybe maybe a pair of scissors. I'm sensing a sword. Sword. S word. S words. Damn it, Trebek. <laughs> Pick swords. <laughs> so I, I he didn't bother me at all, but I I get where you're coming from. Yeah, and the fact that like he he just sort of he just sort of convinces Kira almost instantly that like okay, but he does that. But on the other hand, she still does the job the whole time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. She expresses her doubts and her her concerns, but Cisco at one point says, "Look, you got to get on board with like this is the mission, right? We agreed the mission is the important thing." Yeah. And we can't let this other stuff get in the way. And she's like, "No, you know what? You're right. Yes, You're let's right. do that." Yeah. So she doesn't let her faith like overwhelm. No, it's just when the third the one of the Cardassian scientists pokes her head. It's like, "Oh, by the way, there's a third one of us showing up." And Kira's just like, "Oh no!" Yeah, and at one point on the on the bridge when the comet shows up, she says. You know, uh, sword of fire or whatever the stupid metaphor was, and it's like, they're, and they're like, uh, "What? That? No, no, sweetie, that's not a sword. It's a comet." Yeah, and that's when they're very Cisco, common. That's when Cisco pulls her aside and says, you, "They don't know about this prophecy thing. You need to not. You need to." Sh- <laughs> Kira, you you know what a comet looks like. There's one in the opening credits every week. Yep, we talk about how boring it is every week. You know, you know how every week we have to look out the window at the station and. Watch stuff slowly drift by before we can get to anything interesting. And we see all these weird backwards words from mm-hmm. from, from our perspective. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the wormhole blasts open, and it's really dramatic. And then we have to think about products we might like to buy for a while. <laughs> I, I really like, like, I legitimately like that one of our very main characters mm. is a uh, religious fanatic. Oh yeah, like maybe not a fanatic. I don't know if I'd call her a fanatic, but she's definitely very, de- de- very devout. She is hardcore. She is she is a fundamentalist. I would yeah. say, like she's super devoted to her religion. She's not just a spiritual person, but she's really, really into it. And I think that's important in a show where religion is like as part as hugely part of the, uh, you know, of the uh, the the plot as this is. Like, you know, having religion in a science fiction show, you need that one person who, you know believes in it so devoutly and also isn't awful right that's what i'm saying i it's a it's a good move for this show to have a person who is you know like because i mean okay yeah i i i am not a religious person and personally i like to see my own you know like anybody i like to see my own beliefs reflected in a show because i don't want to be told that other things exist i want to i want to be right but (laughs) i want clarification that my ideas are correct yes I, but it, it's nice, like, because Star Trek has taken this sort of, if not full-on atheist, at least sort of a, uh, what do they call it, like, secular humanist, I think. Maybe, like the, yeah. The, the, the general perspective that, that religion has no place in our lives now, that we got along just fine without science. And, yeah. And humans are the great thing, not God. Yeah. And I think that's humanism. Um, but in, in any case... I, I've been fine with that because it's a science fiction show in the future and it reflects my values, but I also like that we now have a character that, that doesn't reflect my values. Mm-hmm. And and she's still likable and sympathetic and all yeah, that. Yeah, and like can carry that philosophy. Yeah. You and know, we well. still like her. Like she's she's easily your favorite character. So Oh clearly. So obviously you're you've reconciled your uh, your problems with the religion with the, Well, I mean the know. other thing is we've had two series of st- uh, like two series of Star Treks that are just pretty much atheist you know like they don't talk about it much and we have the occasional kirk going no there's only one god back on earth yeah but there was also i think a time like if i'm not mistaken an episode where kirk said something like well we used to believe stuff like that yeah exactly that's sort of my point like the the crews for the most part have always been pretty purely atheist right and having you know a show that's like so into religion and having a character that can represent that religion without looking like an idiot well, and it's, like, that's a hard line to walk because yeah. what do you do? Do you do you, do you bring a, an actual hardcore Christian onto Star Trek? That would be unusual. Yes, and, and they, they probably exist, but it, it would just it, it opens a whole weird thing that you probably don't want to get into. Yeah, and and this is one of those things that Star Trek can do, which is deal with things sort of metaphorically. Mm-hmm. And I've always seen like it's not an it's not a perfect parallel, but the the Bajorans are meant to sort of kind of be the Israelis, I think. I think so, yeah. Where they they went through some really hard times, but now they've recovered, and now they're kind of hardcore tough because of all the shit they've been through. Yeah, and they're also very devoted to their religion. Like, I mean, that's where the similarity ends. But yeah, but I I I used to work with military guys and. American military guys would say the only military they respect that they think could actually kick our asses if they were bigger 
is the Israeli military. Like they, mm-hmm. those people are like super, super just efficient and good at their jobs. Yeah. And that's how I kind of think of the Bajorans. So, you know, it, it, it sort of reflects something similar to earth. Like it's, it's not completely foreign, but at the same time, it's different enough that we're not just saying, Oh, these people are, are this. Yeah. Which I like. Well, the other thing is you could, <clears throat> you know, they've found a way to have their religion make sense because yeah. there it is. Yeah, exactly. God lives in that hole and Jesus lives on that space station. And again, as as an atheist, I like that. It's not yep. like I have to like well, yeah, well, we've said repeatedly we don't want to see magic in Star Trek. That's that no. doesn't like doesn't work with what we want out of a science fiction show. No. And magic show, is dumb. Yeah, but this show takes that basic was it Asimov, I think, who said that there maybe Arthur C. Clarke, one of the one of the big guys. I think I think it was Clark. Said that uh, you know, sufficiently advanced technology would look like magic. Yeah. And um, that's basically it. These guys are so advanced and so alien that it seems like mysticism to these guys, even though it's not. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I like that. I like that we get it both ways. It it could just, they could just be aliens and the Bajorans even acknowledge that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They're, as far as we're concerned, they're the prophets. Yeah. I just, I, I, it's one of those aspects of the show that I really like. And I like that we're finally coming back around to it because I, I didn't remember the show taking a full two and a half years to go back to this to this prophets. Thing. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, <clears throat> it's such uh, a big part later in the show. Yeah, no, uh, DS not like DS Nine was great from the beginning, but a lot of the stuff that really made it DS Nine seems to be taking a while to sort of show up. Yeah, which is where my memory of the show is that a lot of the stuff was in place early on. Yeah, so again, it's weird. Uh, what was your good thing? Uh, there are some goddamn gorgeous visuals in this episode, like. Yeah. The comet, both when it's a comet and when it's shattered into three comets, mm-hmm. looks really good. Like, to the point where, like, I was watching the episode, you get the first shot of it, like, God damn, that looks really good. Like, I don't usually, like, I don't usually notice the, the, how, the how good the special effects look on. No, the thing is, we show. kind it's, of it's accept. not something I sort of notice, you know? We kind of accept a certain level, and usually it's either fine, I can tell what's going on, or, well, that missed the mark. Yeah, but it's rare that it actually like jumps out and says, well, "Like if it like it, I'll notice if it's if it looks like garbage, but if it yeah. looks like really good, I don't tend to. I just tend to accept it." Well, this is a thing we've talked about a little bit where I feel like later Star Trek, like late next gen into DS Nine and Voyager, became sort of homogenized in certain ways. Like there was a house style, mm-hmm. like you kind of expected. Okay, there's a ship. That's what a ship looks like on Star Trek. Like there was very rarely something that jumped out and looked different. It was all just sort of standard. Like, they would change the designs, but you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, everything just kind of looked like, oh, there, that looks like Star Trek. There, there's a house style to how yeah. Star Trek looks. Which is, yeah. on the one hand, I get it. It's efficient. You're pumping mm-hmm. out two series, you know, 26 episodes a season. You, you gotta, you gotta, you know, streamline a bit. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it did make things less sort of creative and, and varied, you know? Yeah. So we got, we got a damn good-looking comet. Yeah. And a damn good-looking broken comet surrounding yeah. a pretty good-looking shuttle. Mm-hmm. And we also shuttle pod, which yeah, yeah, which we've we've never never seen. No, I think it only appeared like once before, and I guess we don't see it again. Which you know, weird, but fine. Right. But uh, no, I mean, it looked fine for like a wee, a wee runabout. A wee runabout, yes. And uh, we get the the relay thing, which looked really fucking good. Apparently, that was repurposed from the Amargosa Observatory from Generations, which was where uh, they they first met uh, Malcolm McDowell. Right. Um, and because that was like, I imagine because it was made for the movie, it was like a huge model in much better detail because it was meant to be seen on film in the big mm-hmm. screen. So, you know, it, it's probably a better class of model than they usually got for TV. Yeah, That's probably no. why it looks so good. Yeah. And then I guess I think they repainted it or something. Yeah. It they, looks, it looks like, fucking great. They broke the wings off and, you know, moved some yeah. things or they kit bashed it. But, but the fact that they started with something that's probably like, you know, five times bigger than their usual model probably mm-hmm. helped. Which, you know, that's cool. Like, I wish, you know, it, it was nice that because this machine was going and they had all this stuff going on, oh, Generations has some extra stuff, let's use that. Yeah. <laughs> They're not using it. Yeah, they've right? already shot that, so... Has anyone, seen that, uh, has anyone seen that thing we had? Oh, we uh, we changed it. Oh. It actually says V'ger now. <laughs> We're going to use that for uh, Star Trek, for uh, Insurrection. <laughs> Nobody's, nobody likes Insurrection. Oh. Wait, no. That's not it. Insurrection's not the one. Nemesis. No. Nobody, nemesis. Likes, nemesis. Nobody likes Nemesis. Right. Or Millhouse. Like 
No, we did. Shockingly. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about these Cardassians. Yes. I First of all, it's cool that all three of them are, are ladies. Yep. That's a nice subtle thing because, like, not all the important Cardassians are... are uh, as Amanda pointed out, the only egalitarian societies are the evil ones. Yep. Which is true. wonder what that's about. The mm. wrong ones on the Cardassians. Odd that. But these two important scientists and then the Obsidian Order Observer are all are all ladies, which is cool. Yep. One of them apparently was uh, Nadine from Twin Peaks, the, the crazy lady with the uh, eye patch. Yep. I spent the entire episode when I was watching by myself like, God, she looks familiar. I wonder yep. why. And also thinking she sort of looked like Garrick. My silent drape runners. <laughs> then she gets hits on the, hit on the head and thinks she's a teenager. Not the uh, not the best uh, twist Twin that uh, Twin Peaks took, but uh, wow. you know. Listen, that show, like I will, I will not deny like that. It was a great show, but mm. there was a lot of stupid shit going on there. Oh yeah, time. there was there was a lot of there were a lot of characters and a lot of plots, and not all of them were perfect. Yeah, for every red room and awesome visual we got, there was the, the getting, bonk, getting bonked on the head and yeah, and the adventures of James Hurley in that other town. Oh God! Let's take the most bland character and send him to some other place where we don't even know anyone and don't care. <laughs> hey, welcome to Lone Tree, the coolest town next to Twin Peaks. <laughs> How you doing? No, nothing interesting happens here. Stick around for eight episodes. Yeah. How you doing? We're trying to solve the mystery of who kissed Laurie Pelmer. <laughs> Here's our FBI agent, Dan Cooper with a K. <laughs> I like bagels. <laughs> and tea. I wonder like how long these... I can go on with this. I don't like these trees very much. <laughs> Beautiful cliffs you got here. <laughs> Danielle? Yeah, we could we could just make this whole thing. <laughs> I'm calling you from my van. <laughs> All right. Um But yeah, we got these three Cardassians that show up. Yeah. And they're uh, great by the way. Like I I mean, you don't learn too much about the Obsidian Order. Now, and on the like I said this in my summary, I feel like every single Cardassian story now has an Obsidian Order like rat, which yeah. I feel like I really like the Obsidian Order. I like that aspect of Cardassian society, but this episode took some steps to say not all Cardassians are alike. Mm -hmm. So it was weird that we had the standard, oh, and the government's spying on them again. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just, I don't know. That was sort of a, like a missed opportunity. I mean, it's the, the fact that we always go back to, uh, go back to this, you know? Yeah, and again, I love it. Like, oh, I yeah. love the Obsidian Order. I love all that intrigue stuff. I just, I, it doesn't have to happen every single well, that's, time. That's the thing. I, you know, it makes me wonder how they get anything done on Cardassia. You know, like there's always some Obsidian Order mole watching everything. It's well, like... I, and we got a nice hint at that, where even like they t they were talking about how well the Science Council is overseen by the military, and the military wants results, so we're not mm. allowed to report anything that isn't. Like positive. Positive, yeah. yeah. So they weren't allowed to report the possibility that something could go wrong because yeah. the military doesn't want that. Yeah. I like that. I like that we see, again, we get more hints that not, not everything in Cardassian culture really works. No. Like, they're about to fall apart. And I'm not, that's not a spoiler. No. But we, we really get the impression with what's been happening in the last couple of seasons that that culture... Is, it's right on. It's like it's right on the tipping point. Yeah. You know, just, they've got like this rebellion that they're trying to keep quiet. Yeah. And Obsidian Order's got its fingers into everything. The military runs everything. Yeah, and the people are tired of it. Yeah. Because you can't get anything done, and everything's just... There's always somebody watching over your shoulder. Well, and, and that giant Orwellian uh, TV screen with the talking Cardassian on it, that thing doesn't shut off. Like, no. people are trying to sleep, dude. Yeah, and occasionally you want to, you know, like, uh, chew something, and, oh, nope, sorry, they took your tooth. Yep. Can't chew it. Nope, sorry. Yep. <laughs> the state needs this tooth. But that's my tooth. Hope you like bland. I don't. But they did. There was a nice little scene where Quark thought he was kissing up to them and brought them Cardassian food, and he leaves. And there's this awkward moment where they're like, "We don't like Cardassian food. It's kind of gross." Yeah. Although I'm kind, I was kind of surprised by the idea of someone who doesn't like any food served on their planet. Well, he only brought them like three things. Yeah. But I oh, don't, don't know. Oh, you don't like worm eggs? I'm sorry to hear that. I don't know. What if like? Uh, what what if um. You know, you went somewhere and they gave you earth food, traditional earth food. And I, was... Well, that's the thing. What is traditional earth food? Yeah, there's so much of it. and just We pick, have a lot of food. Pick any three dishes and it might just be three things you hate. Uh-huh. Who knows? I guess that's fair. 
But say, saying, well, we don't actually like Cardassian food. Well, what do you eat? Like, I mean, I know you can get stuff shipped in from other planets, but... Well, they have replicators, too. That's true. I just think it's weird that you don't like any food from your planet. The Cardassians have an empire, though. Presumably there are more planets in uh, like under their control than just Cardassia. That's true, yeah. Like, there's other cultures that are part of their empire. Mm. That's the thing we, we talked about a little with the Klingons. You used to be too. really into Bajoran food, but you can't get it anymore. Well, oddly. yeah. <laughs> mm. We talked about that a little with the Klingons, too. The Klingon Empire doesn't necessarily equal 100% Klingons. They may no. have conquered planets with other guys on them. Oh, they have. We know that. Yeah. We just don't hear about them anymore because the Klingons are supposed to be good guys. Well, right, but they still have an empire. Mm. An empire implies that they expanded up beyond their homeworld and they have other planets under their thing. That actually might finally explain why they don't have that many scientists and stuff. They went out and got some. Yeah, that could be. Still doesn't explain how they got off the planet, but well, uh, yeah. But I, the the speaking of scientists, I like that the there's this well there's this great thing between uh, Chief O'Brien and the one scientist that he's sort of paired up with. Oh, that's great! I love I love their relationship. Where she's like, well, first of all, we get the Cardassian perspective on this this constant thread of the all the technology here is junk, and I gotta fix everything. Yeah, like, like we from the start of the series, it's a bit the, one of the runners on DS9 has been this Cardassians Karda- made a crappy space station and now we got to deal with it. And the thing is, it works great for them. Oh, yeah. But, but because Starfleet regulations say you have to have five backups for everything, they're like, mm. well, it does. No, you can't. It, this doesn't work for us. And the Cardassians are like, but it works just fine. Why did you tear that out? Yeah. I love the, uh, why, why do you need five backups? Listen. Yeah. Have you seen Star Trek? I don't know how it works on Cardassia, but here we're in very real danger of going back in time if something explodes. Yeah, I mean, some, like, weird self-aware star could show up and destroy three levels of backups, and we need that fourth backup. Do you know we have to keep a whale in the basement just in case? (laughs) An entire whale. What if that probe comes back? In the basement. Every Starfleet space station has a whale, okay? This is just how we do things. And then we have to have the infrastructure. We got to we got to have a a, a a farm to to grow krill. Yeah. And we have to have a whale keeper. Yeah. And a whale I mean scrubber. that uh, what that uh, that Jillian chick from Star Trek 4 can't be everywhere. No. So she's like she she runs the school that trains all the whale keepers. Yeah. And then they go out and uh, and do that. Have you met a whale biologist? Those guys are assholes. Yep. Whale biologist. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually picturing whale keepers like the Rancor Keeper from Return of the Jedi. Oh, like no shirt and... Yeah. Kind of a fat guy with a hood. Yep. Which uh, my friend Mark turned into the uh, Orson Welles action figure, actually. <laughs> he had the right body type for it. I think Scotty would make a really good whale keeper. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. There'd be whales here! Stop saying that! And then when the whale dies, he cries about it. Oh, there'd be no whales here. Where would my whales go? <laughs> Um. Yeah, but the uh, fuck so, were we talking about? Yeah, I had to unravel. Like, I had to go back a few steps. Where, where were we? Where do we start with this? How the hell? Whales in the basement? Huh? I didn't. I didn't leave breadcrumbs from the original thread <laughs> here. Oh, uh, the, so the the Cardassian scientist is like, no, this stuff works fine. And so this is a sort of antagonistic uh, relationship between her and O'Brien. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that comes out is, well, men suck at uh, at, at engineering. On our mm-hmm. planet, women are the ones who are good at science, and men are not. And yeah. it's a nice, nice little, nice little cultural thing. Yeah. Um, but it, it it culminates in her thinking that uh, he's into her, which was my quote. Yes. I assure you, I'm quite fertile. Oh. I could provide you with many healthy children, if if that's your concern. But quite frankly, I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself. Children? What are you talking about? I already have a child. And a wife. You're married? Yes, happily. Then why have you been leading me to believe that you wanted me? And that was just delightful. The whole, the whole thing was delightful. There were a bunch of candidates for quote because that, that whole little thread was just yeah. fantastic. No, they, little- they, they play off of each other well. I would have liked to have seen her again. Yeah, I think it would have been interesting if O'Brien had not been married mm-hmm. to maybe have a little sort of plot thread about him overcoming his prejudice and maybe dating a Cardassian or something. I also think it would be interesting if O'Brien was not married, but for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, he, he toward the end, she's like, what, what's your wife's name? Keiko. And I just waited for her to say, oh, oh, we know just who that is. <laughs> drop whatever she was carrying. 
There really is a Keiko? <laughs> the legends are that she burst into a Cardassian courtroom and yelled at a judge. Is that true? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that just happened a few weeks ago, actually. That's my wife. Yeah, well, legends spread fast on Cardassia. Yep. <laughs> that that guy on the uh, on the big TV told us all about yep. it. <laughs> There's no such thing as Keiko. There's no such thing as Keiko. God, how I wish that were true. <laughs> just Keiko the giant whale down in the... Uh, down, down in the basement? basement. Yep. Also, I thought this episode was written by uh, Futurama co-creator David X. Cohen. Turns out it was not. It's a I was, David Cohen. I was really excited about that. It's like, David S. Cohen's like the best writer on Futurama. Yeah, apparently, um, and Flunk had to point this out because I didn't bother doing the research because I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, David S. Cohen is what uh, both of their names are, and uh, the, the Futurama guy had to change his name to David X. Cohen because this guy also existed in... The Writers Guild can't have two guys with the same name. So weird, because, I mean, I know that he wrote on The Simpsons as David S. Cohen. Yeah. But I guess at one point, this guy emerged. Emerged. Yes, and wrote something. Or maybe he became... I mean, there, there wasn't, like, you know, the internet wasn't hugely widespread at that point, so maybe it didn't come up for a while. Or maybe he didn't join the Writers Guild for... I don't know, there's any number of reasons. Yeah, and then he was like, they changed my script. Yeah. And that, that and a tribute to Walter Matthau are the only thing this guy's ever done, so... Uh... Oh, they changed his script on that, too. <laughs> Poor Walter Matthau. So Let's go dead. Out for chocolate frosted milkshakes, boy. <laughs> I know he was in more, but I always remember him from the Dennis the Menace movie. <laughs> oh, God. I he know. was in so much. He was in some, like, classic movies. Oh, yeah, no, he was in great movies. But when I picture Walter Matthau, I picture the Dennis the Menace movie. Wow. Raised in the 90s. He was like, he and Jack Lemmon were the original odd couple. I know, I know. He was in Grumpy Old Man, which is a great movie. Yeah, he and Jack Lemmon had great chemistry. They did a lot of stuff together. Yeah, but uh, nope. Dennis the Menace movie. Weird. Featuring him and Christopher Lloyd. Well, Christopher Lloyd, you know, guy's gotta eat. Yep. Walter Matthau doesn't have an excuse, but Christopher Lloyd, you know. All I remember about Grumpy Old Man is I think Anne-Margaret was in it, and she was Uh, like 65 or 70 years old, and I still thought she was kind of... Yep. (laughs) All right. That that is all I have about this one. I think that's you? everything I got on this one. Very well. Oh, there was a there was a weird bit of um remember that old uh, thing that they used to do in the original series where they would do a close up of Kirk and they would sort of just light his eyes. Oh, the uh, the the eye shadow thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did that with Cisco in one shot and it was weird. It was Really? Was no I didn't notice that. Yeah. Huh. Very strange. Uh anyway, that's all for me. And that's all from him. Well, <laughs> Then why don't you do the next episode thusly? Ugh, fine. Profit motive! That's that's profit with a PH. Yeah, you get it? Do you get it? Uh-huh. So we open on Quark getting a very graphic hand job from some girl when Rom Crab walks in to inform Quark that the gra- that Grand Negus Zek is visiting. Well, that's always a good sign. I like Zek well enough. Unfortunately, something's wrong with him. He's caring and helpful and not disgusting. Clearly something is off! This is not a joke. This is seriously the plot of the next 40 minutes of television. Zek started up charity or- charity organizations. He's written a new book of rules of acquisition. He's losing money. So Quark and Rom attempt to stop him. Little investigation reveals that Zek has acquired a Bajoran orb and was planning to sell it back to the to Bajor. He took it on a tour of the wormhole and then came back wrong. Quark takes the orb and Zek into the wormhole in an attempt to run the wormhole backwards or something. And then suddenly he's talking to the prophets. Funny, I thought only Cisco could do that. It's like his big deal or something. Silly me, I must have been mistaken, because the only other explanation is that this episode is ignoring a major plot point of the entire series in favor of some city, shitty jokes, and that can't be possible at all. Ugh. So Quark talks to the Prophets, and they tell him that they met with Zek, a third person the Prophets talked to. That seems like it should have come up. And didn't like him, so they devolved him into an earlier form of Ferengi. And apparently Ferengi used to be charitable and not gross, which continues to not make a lot of sense, but whatever. Then they threaten to do the same to Quark, so he makes a speech until they get so annoyed that they fix everything. Zek is gross again, and everyone is happy, except me. Back on DS9, Julian does not win an award. So, is came back wrong? Is that a reference to Pet Cemetery? Yes. I figured it probably was. And probably some other horror movies. Yeah, probably. It's come up a lot. Hmm. It came back right. It's also a reference to Buffy now that I think about it. Oh, so it is. So it is. Let's talk about Buffy for the next half hour. Oh, God, could we? I like that show. We could totally do a podcast on Buffy. Well, yeah, we could, but, uh, you know, it's already been done. Yeah. Probably. Probably. I, I, I haven't checked. 
I told you I don't know anything about podcasts. I know. What's a podcast? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so okay, here's here's a weird thing. Well, yeah, let's, let's get to your bad thing because I wanna I wanna I wanna talk this. Yeah, out. I'm normally a fan of the Ferengi centric episodes. I like Quark. I like Zach. I've talked about that since the first time he showed up. I think he's a great choice for the leader of the Ferengis. But God, the humor in this does not work for me at all. It's just a bunch of wacky crap, bad jokes, and stupid voices. See, he's a Ferengi, but he's giving people stuff. Do you get it? It's out of character. It's fucking dumb is what it is. Okay, okay, okay. This is my exact complaint of like the la- at least the last Ferengi episode, if not like the last two Ferengi episodes. Why did it suddenly bother you now? I have no idea, but it drove me crazy. Because seriously, wacky crap, bad jokes, stupid voices. That There's is all just... the stuff that I don't like about the last one. This shit, nothing happens in this episode. We spend like 10 minutes in Rom's apartment with Quark wandering around picking things up. Yep. Well, they're, they're, like, they're the odd couple, you see. Ugh. They're, they're like uh, Mathow and Lemon. Come back, Walter Mathow. <laughs> we need you now more than ever. Quark. Oh, I'm, gr- I'm buried in a grave. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's it's interesting to me that now it's it's sort of worn on you. I don't, like, I don't get it. I do, like, I like the Ferengi episodes, you know? I like these characters. I fucking hate Rom, but that's not important. Rom will become more likable. Yes. But right now, he's just, uh, Yep. That's it. That's my Rom impression. That's Uh, that's it. Brother. Yeah. They make Uh, some really sort of super overt Rom is dumb jokes that are just like, wow. Yeah, Yeah, don't, like... Because the voice wasn't enough. Yeah, it's just, uh, we get it. He's not bright. Yep. He's a dim, dim man. It's, it's... Like I said, I just I don't like the broad comedy of the Ferengi episodes. I I don't mind a Ferengi being the comic relief, mm-hmm. but in general, I like sort of harder edged Quark, not goofy Quark. Yeah, and unfortunately, this was sort of broad, goofy, you yeah. know, farce type. He's not acting the way he's supposed to. What? That it just like there's one there's one joke. This episode is based on one joke. Yep. Actually, it's based on an episode of Taxi, but uh... <laughs> well. Mm-hmm. The 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 writer originally came up with an idea for an episode for Taxi, which was that um, uh, Louis, the guy who uh, Danny DeVito, uh, Danny DeVito played, thank you, uh, his like the guy he looked up to was this sort of like lecherous, you know, like like scheming guy, and suddenly he's turned it all around and become like you know yeah. nice, and and he he can't believe it, and so I could see the similarities there. I just I like <laughs> I like going to Memory Alpha, and one of the first things it says is this episode was originally based on a script on a spec script for Taxi. Yeah. That'll uh, that'll throw me every time. Yeah, it's pretty unusual. I don't expect to think about Taxi when I'm watching uh, Star Trek. Particularly a Ferengi episode. Yeah, no kidding. It's a little Although unusual. I would watch Andy Kaufman as a Ferengi. <laughs> no, you know what? He would make a great... Uh, uh, oh, God, what are they called? I don't know. Uh, a Vorta? Yeah, hor- a Vorta. <laughs> no, not a Horda. A Horda. No, a Vorta. <laughs> no, kill I. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Here's the thing. You want a long episode where nothing happens and there's only one joke? Andy Kaufman's the guy you call. Here I come to save the day. Listen, I, I respect the hell out of that guy. But, oh, yeah. Uh, he was he was the king of, let's stretch one joke out for half an hour to see yeah. just how much you can put up with. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this, this, this just, episode is just not. Good. But no, my point, my point is it's, it's one joke and it goes on forever. But again, the last episode, and I can't remember the particulars of the last Ferengi episode, but I was making this argument to you last time, and Mm. you didn't, you were like, but I liked it. I thought it was funny. I don't get it. So, like, it's weird to me that you've now taken the the opposite position. It's like, well, now I'm interested to see where we go from, like, as we get to more Ferengi episodes as we go along. Like, is it just this one? Like, my memory. (laughs) am I fed up now? (laughs) My memory is of diminishing returns, that every time we do a Ferengi episode, it gets a little worse. Nah. Uh, culminating in the one with Quark that we've we've hinted at before. Yeah, which, I mean it might know, like bad. it might help once Rom is a less one note character. Well, and it helps. There's a couple of other supporting characters that haven't been introduced yet. That yeah, no, there's it, some there's some great there's some great guys. Jeffrey Coombs okay. will show up later as a guy. Yep, that we like. I so love it, I love that guy. That makes it a little different. Yeah. I, we'll see. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying across the board. I don't like all Ferengi episodes, but in general, they play the comedy too broad. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't care for it. It feels like forced whimsy and, like, crazy vaudeville, like, slapstick double takes and, yeah. you know, it's like and just, bleh. This episode basically revolves around three characters. Yep. I don't like one of those characters. Yep. 
and one um, of them is not doing the stuff that we yeah, like about the it. The other one's acting completely out of character, I which say, well, oh, okay, Zach, yeah, but, yeah. But I would say Quark is also not doing most of the stuff that we like about Quark. Yeah, like he's when, not. He's just he's just reacting in like the most sort of stereotypical Ferengi. Yeah, I, what way I like possible, about Quark you know? is when he's kind of in control or trying to gain control. Yeah, when when he's like subservient to the Nagus, it's never as good. Like it's, no. it's always like. He loses that edge. He loses that, you know, in control of the situation thing, and that's what I like about him. Yeah, it's like, we like Quark when he's competent. Yeah. And okay. he's not in this one. He's no. just... That said, though, the part that I do like, we talked mm. about this already, I like the Prophet stuff. I like the trappings of the Prophets. I like yeah. the orb experience. I like the, the actual going into the wormhole and talking to them. Like, I just, I like the structure of those, the logic behind people that you've seen sort of echoes of your subconscious are kind of representing themselves. Like it's a, it's a neat thing, uh -huh. but particularly uh, Quark, the shrewd negotiator, we actually get Quark doing kind of a Kirk thing mm -hmm. where he's literally debating with gods and convincing gods that they did something wrong and to back off the God thing that they did. I put it to you, sir. Yeah, it was, it was kind of badass. Like yeah. it was kind of like we talked about how we want to see more of Quark doing that. Yeah. Like being a shrewd negotiator. And we, and we got a bit of that and I like that. Mm-hmm. So that was that was definitely my good thing. Like the fact the, the fact that him and Zek can go and talk to the prophet. So that bugs me. Okay, we just talked about how Bajoran like mystics or prophets or whatever you want to call them, yeah, have had contact with the wormhole aliens before. Obviously, just, this is a thing. It just it feels like like that like it should be harder to actually talk to them, you know, and just having these two guys just sort of stumble in. Well, they stumble in with an orb. That's true. It's not like every single ship that goes through the wormhole gets to talk to them. They had an orb. And I believe that's how Cisco did it, too, actually, in the pilot. Mm. Well, then why aren't Bajoran, like... Why isn't Kai Wen waiting outside the wormhole with, like, eight orbs that she borrowed? Well, they probably haven't figured it out. Just waiting to go in. They probably haven't, like, put that together. Tell me why I'm great now, child. <laughs> not really supposed to call us child. We're, you know, God. It is adversarial. Sorry? <laughs> It is passive aggressive. We will de-evolve it back to a time when it was less of a dick. <laughs> there was no time. Time not found. Just turn her into a fetus. Yep. Nope. Even that. Ugh. But she consumed the most other fetus. Pa most passive aggressive fetus that ever there was. Yep. I'm doing this for the good of all, Bajor child. I'm the. Si I'm literally the same age as you. Well, I. I guess I, I guess uh, I, I won't get some of that breast milk, and I guess I'll just die. So, wah, I guess. <laughs> That's no, fine. I didn't need it. No. Um, but, it, no, I, I get the feeling that, that other people have talked to... The, in fact, they'll say in later episodes, without really spoiling anything, yeah. that, that other characters have talked to the prophets. The thing that makes Cisco special is he's the one who directly engaged them and explained to them what linear existence is and sort of represented our plane of existence to them. Like, he's he's sort of... To them, the face of, well, not humanity, but, you know, right. like, the, the face of linear people. Well, now I'm just wondering what would happen if Quark was the emissary. Yeah, that would be a whole other thing. That mm -hmm. would be a very ripped-off planet. <laughs> I'm sure there are alternate, like, what-if stories that yeah. have been written along those lines. Didn't, uh, didn't Bajor used to have, like, a shit ton of wealth or something? I mean, we did, but then the emissary showed up and, well, I mean, he needed it all. <laughs> For reasons. For reasons. Yeah. Oh my god, now I want to see Quark the Emissary facing off against Kai Wynn. <laughs> I want to see that so badly. Hey, give that back. That's the Orb of Umox. <laughs> Ugh. Yep. I feel bad now. That's okay. Um, Opening on, open the episode on a hand job. It could be worse. Could have been Kai Wynn giving him a hand ah! job. <laughs> I'm leaving is, now. Is that good, child? Do you like that? Is that doing it for you? <laughs> But yeah, we, we this, I've I've mentioned this before the ear thing. Yeah, it's clearly an erogenous zone for them, and then they're just like at one point, Rom's just like running a vibrator over it. I thought he was cleaning it. Like I well, thought he, he was. was. It was he supposed was to be like an electric he was brushing toothbrush. his ear. Yeah, but you know, if we established in the same episode, this woman stroking Quark's ears is a sexual thing, mm. and then later you see someone holding a humming object up to his ears. Yeah. Well, that's not hard. That's not a hard leap to make. I'm not. I'm not really digging for that one. They've sort of. Made them into, like, all-purpose. Yeah. That's, like, their defining characteristic. Like, at one point, uh, Clark says, uh, did you talk to the Nagus? And the, the, the prophet says, the Nagus. You know, the other the other guy like me, and he points to his ears. Yep. 
Like, is that literally the only thing about you? Yeah, ear guys. Oh, we got the lobes for it. Yep. You'd think piercings would be bigger on Ferenginar. You would think. I'd like to see a Ferengi with a giant Bajoran-style earring. Yes. Well, (laughs) Quark was wearing one in one of those episodes. Oh, that's true. So he was. During the the Festival of uh, Gratitude or whatever. Something or other. Yeah. You know, the last time Kira was happy. No, 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 no. She was happy for, uh, for for Julian in this episode. Oh, that's right. She said yay. She did say yay, which you pointed out. <laughs> that, is, that is a weird sort of B-plot. I like... Okay, you mentioned nothing happened, and on the one hand, it made for a boring episode. On the other, yeah. I do like that this show is willing to sort of go out on a limb, and like we've always complained about the manufactured deadly danger and mm. whatever. I'd like to see a good episode done like this, but the fact that they're willing to make an episode that's fairly low-key, that yep. has some character development and stuff, but the B-plot is a guy not winning a prize, mm-hmm. and the A-plot is a guy's acting the way he's not supposed to. Yes. Like, that, that's it. That's there's the no there's plot. no deadly... Da- In fact, yeah. Quark is actively working to make things not as good. Yeah. I just... I like that. I just... I feel like you could do that with a good episode. Yeah. But I, I like that they're now telling stories that don't fit that same standard mold. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a step in the right direction. But let's talk real quickly. There's not much to say about that Bashir subplot. Yeah, so basically Julian's been... Uh, Dax nominated Julian for the... What is it? The Carrington Award. Yeah, it's some, which is some a, prestigious award for, for uh, Federation doctors. Yeah, it's a huge, huge award for, uh, uh, you know, uh, medical stuff. Yeah. In, uh, in and, and Bashir points out that it's basically a Lifetime Achievement Award. That you yeah. get it at the end of a, of a good career. And he's like 30 years old, so yeah. he's not ready yet. Not super thrilled about it. Yeah. Which I kind of like, I like the idea of him like, well, I mean, I appreciate it, but like, I'm only 30, I haven't done anything yet. No, and he wants it. You can tell he wants oh, it. Oh, yeah. But on the other hand, he knows full well he's not going to get it because, the, you know. Well, there's, I mean, it's, a, there's it's certain... all politics with the, uh, you know, with the uh, Carrington uh, board. Well, I mean, there's certain awards now that are treated that way. Like, there's certain Oscars that are issued because, oh, we snubbed someone last year and they deserved something. or. Yeah. This is basically their Lifetime Achievement Award, even though this wasn't their best role. Or right. Whatever. They, they do that all the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it was interesting to watch his sort of subtle... Because, I mean, the, he wasn't hugely happy or hugely unhappy. There was just varying degrees of pretending not to care. It's just like, I really wish this hadn't happened. Yeah. But overall, you could tell he was a little disappointed. Mm-hmm. And he was also a little happy that Dax did this for him, even though he knew he wouldn't win. And, it, yeah. you know, it was nice. I like that everyone on the station was proud of him. Yep. I like uh, that, that people are starting to come together a little bit. And, yeah. And like we, his... like, we like Julian now. Yeah. Remember when we didn't like Julian? Yeah. Like, Julian's like, I don't remember that. What? <laughs> like a month ago. <laughs> we get it. We get the first scene of uh, this will become a thing where he's playing darts with uh, Chief O'Brien. Yep. For some reason, the dartboard has lights and beeping. Well, it's the future, Al. You, you can't just throw H- a sharp you... object at a cork thing. You nope. have, to, have to have lights and beeping. Alice the future. It would make sense if it was like, like I think it's supposed to be keeping score or something, but there's no it, display. There's no display or anything. No, it just beeps and flashes. Yeah, that's it. And to me, honestly, like that—that's just going too far. Like it's cool that some normal Earth stuff survived to the future, and it—it it wasn't futured up. Yeah, I mean, you—it's a dartboard. Yeah, not how do you—you you can't but, improve on a dartboard, right? And the the basic similarity between these two guys is their Britishness, or yeah. like I I know it's an insult to call an Irishman British. He's not, but no, it's, but he's it's from that same. The... They, culturally, they share a similar heritage. Yes, and and the 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 relationship is that uh, you know O'Brien's the working class guy and Bashir's the officer, but still, yeah, it's still a basic sense of like the stuff they do is very Britishy, mm-hmm. and one of those things is darts at the pub, darts at the pub, which is great, but you don't need to future it up just have darts at the pub that's yeah. it and do they i don't remember if the the board in quark's bar is it's the same board it's the same board okay yeah the, right now they're playing in like a cargo bay or something but yeah. later they just convince quark to hang it there we'll give you five bucks if you let us put the dart board up right because right. this is where we get our beer it would be much easier to just walk over and get another beer yeah than to go all the way downstairs get a beer bring it back up to the cargo bay you know i like this plan <laughs> Plus, we can we can check out Dabo Girls while we play. Yeah, you know, it's a win win situation. Right, it's a Kai win situation. Ah, no, <laughs> I don't believe in the Kai win scenario. Ah, uh. oh, I'm sad now. <laughs> the K 
Kekuyashi Maru. Ah! <laughs> Definitely unwinnable. Yes. Um, what was oh. your good thing? Um, let's see. Oh, I like, I like Bashir. There's a scene where, uh, they take the Nagus to, um, to, uh, Bashir to get him checked out, see well, what the hell's wrong with him. obviously sick. Well, clearly. I, I don't like that they did it, but I actually kind of like Bashir hanging out with all these Ferengis. Well, he's not hanging out with them. He's doing his job. I know, but I kind of want to see more of that. That's fair. I want, I want, I want to see them take uh, Bashir on their like Ferengi adventures for some reason. Well, I feel like he's still young and naive enough. Yeah. That they could, they would completely like if he had money, he wouldn't at the end of that trip. Well, it's like we talked about the first time he shows up in Quark's bar and doesn't leave in a barrel. Right. But like, I, I, I like, I don't know. I just like him with them, you know. Well, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. It's this weird thing where I, it's like, I want to see more of these characters interacting with each other. I never see these two together. Yeah, and, and a good show with an extended sort of ensemble like this show will throw you different combinations of characters and be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I wasn't particularly struck by that scene. It was fine. Yeah. But, uh, but I could see what you're saying. I don't know. I just watched them like, more plays. <laughs> well, I, and, and it was the only time where the, the A plot and the B plot intersected at all. Yeah. Not, not that Bashir doesn't win an award is really a, a plot. No, but, you know. it's more sort of a thing that happened. It was a nice little character moment. Like I do like Quarks. Well, no wonder you're not going to win the Carrington. <laughs> we haven't focused enough on Julian, so here's a little something for him. Like It was a nice little thing. Even Quark knows I'm not going to win. <laughs> They're betting on it, aren't they? You bet your ass. <laughs> oh. Oh. Um... So my bad thing. Yes, tell me your bad thing. Well, the entire premise of this episode is based on the fact that P-R-O-F-I-T and P-R-O-P-H-E-T, profit and profit, are homonyms. Yeah. They sound the same. Get it? Do you get it? One more. I'm positive that's, uh, that's like how this initial, like, okay, yeah, taxi script or whatever, yeah. but I'm, I'm sure that's where the initial idea came from. I, I, I have this picture in my mind of the whiteboard that they have in the writing room. And then just pro- and then just written out profit equals profit question mark and then underneath quark yeah and then under that written smaller rom <laughs> um but yeah that was it's just I don't like ti- you know stupid title based no that we've gotten DS nine sort of like they get better with titles. No, well, okay, a little. They get weirder with like they do. That's sort of what I'm get going at here. They get weird with titles. Like there's that one. Uh, uh, actually, Brian made a reference to this one this week. It's like Inter Armis Allegiance something. Like it's it's yeah, weird Latin title. It's like there's two things that Star Trek's done with titles up to this point. It's either fancy phrases from Shakespeare. Yep. Which DS9 beholder, will actually go back into. Yeah. Or the something. Well, yeah. And DS9 sort of gets more, I don't know what with it. They go back to the original series after a while. Yeah, although I guess Profit, uh, uh, what the fuck's this thing called? Prop? Profit Motive. I guess Profit Motive is still a lot like Menage a Troy. Yes, it is. Although I kind of liked Menage a Troy. Yes. Our friend Nathan most assuredly did not. No. (laughs) But I did. Get it? Do you get it? I see, I I don't know, I like that one. I think I got it. Um... I don't know why. I don't know. I can't really defend why I like that one and I don't like this one. I, I don't know. One of those things. And it also had Ferengi in it, so it's not that. No, it's not that. Um, How come there was no, never an episode with Luxwana Troy and the Nagus? Yeah, that's... You want to talk about two characters I want to see play off of each other? Holy crap. Uh, I don't know. Loud old people yelling at each other. Yeah, but the Nagus would, like, because of their lack of respect for females, that wouldn't really go anywhere. Yeah, but Luxwana's not wanting to put up with that kind of bullshit. That's what I'm saying. She Unless they're trapped somewhere together. Yeah, in an elevator with They've Odo. They've already done the trapped in the elevator thing. So, you know. I don't know. Making and, up better plots for them than this episode. Well, yeah. Again, I like that they, they were experimenting with sort of a, a low, you know. Yeah. Like, like not, a, not a low threat plot. No deadly danger. Right. Not the, just the typical formula episode. It was yeah. it was a little unusual, which at I at least like a cloud didn't attack the station or something. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but one of my notes here is um, this is really low level sitcomery. Definitely. 
Because there's a lot of misunderstandings and wacky. Well, what are we going to do now? They actually put him in a bag. They put him in a bag. Yep. I have a note here. This is my last note in the entire thing. It's just like, they put him in a bag. I'm leaving. <laughs> you can't And then leave. let's see. Door slam, car drives away. <laughs> uh, and and the, my, my other big problem, again, while I like the, the sort of low stakes episode, it did take forever to get going. Oh my god. We still yeah, need some conflict. It doesn't have to be literal physical danger conflict, but there does need to be something and it took like two acts to well, even find out that the Nagus was acting weird. That's what oh, that's what I'm saying. Like they spend like all this time just hanging out in Rom's at Rom's place. Well yeah, the whole thing starts because the Nagus shows up and, and muscles Quark out of his quarters so he can live there. Mm-hmm. Because there's no other way to get quarters when you're a guest on the station, even though you're the leader of an entire culture. Yeah, no, Cisco would be happy to give you a place. Yeah, Cisco is giving quarters to people all the time, and this dude is like the president of a major culture. Yeah. Like, this is a pretty big deal that he's there. Vice like president! Him. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like vice president for this, Quark. Um, what else? Oh, I like that Quark still hasn't gotten rid of those self-sealing stem bolts yet. Mm-hmm. He's still got them. Still so trying to unload them. Yep. Almost got him with that cute chick. Almost. Next time. (laughs) Next time, get the contract signed before you get the hand job. That's just good business sense. Well, yeah, I I mean, that's not even, that doesn't even have to be a rule of acquisition. That's just common sense. It is in the Ferengi rule book of hand jobs, though. Right. Um, Big book. Very big book. (laughs) Wow. This is actually all I, all I had, like looking over my notes is all. Pretty much, yeah. I do like that the episode ends with, with Quark and Rom sort of being on the same page and helping each other and not actually at each other's throats yep. like, like every other episode with them ends. This is Rom's just sick of trying to kill him. Yeah, they just Which sort of I walk appreciate. off into sunset and yep. like, I embezzled a little money, you want some? Rom, I'm proud of you. You can, you can buy me a drink. You'll make vice president of the bar for this. <laughs> Father would be proud. <laughs> All right. Uh, you got a quote? Uh, yes. What's your quote? Uh, what is my quote? Oh, right. I, there's a scene where um, they're reading over the Negus's new rules of acquisition and uh, trying to figure out what they're not seeing here. Mm-hmm. The book. The book. You want to hear more? No, but it must be some kind of code. Read me the first word of every rule. If... Never keep profit a good smile honesty. If never keep profit a good smile honesty. What does it mean, brother? It means absolutely nothing. Yeah, that was cute. Yep. And, uh... Our cover it's... art's probably going to be Quark licking the book. That that was pretty good, too. Because first he, he does the, the thing in your quote, and then he, like, holds it up to the light, and then he yep. starts sniffing it, and then, yeah. Maybe there's it. a cup, maybe. Wait, t- did you try licking it? No, it tastes like book. Yeah. No, and he's got this great sort of comedic double take, where he's like, mmm, bleh. <laughs> It's a pretty good-tasting book. Uh, No, no, it isn't. I kind of laughed despite myself. Like, that was such an obvious thing. But it was just, yeah, he's, you know, the thing is, while I don't like the broad vaudeville slapsticky stuff, he is good at it. Oh, yeah. Like, like Armin Shimmerman has has Yeah, I'm not going to say Armin Shimmerman isn't a good comedic actor. Whereas I think uh, Max Grodinchik, I think is how you say that, the guy who plays Rom, I think he is not as good. No, definitely a one-note character. And that's another reason why I like seeing Quark play off different characters. Yeah. Like, slap him with Odo and make him the the slapstick comic relief, and it's a whole other story. Because René Auberjonois has has good, you know, good chemistry and, and good comedic timing and all that. I just, the the thing with Brom is he making him that character as like a what they started out with that character as just like a one note joke yeah and then he had to stick around and be a real person well the thing is I liked him as sort of the the hardcore conservative you can't let females put their clothes on guy yeah like showing that Quark is actually fairly liberal when it comes to that stuff mm-hmm. as compared to a hardcore Ferengi yeah but. That, that was the only other angle they had, other than that he's stupid. Yeah. And easily And led. has a dumb voice and walks like a crab. And the thing is, in the last episode, they actually started developing him through Nog by saying he's actually a good engineer, but we haven't really seen that yet. No. 
Mostly it's just hell don't show again. Yeah. But we'll get, step, we'll get more of that later. One step forward, two steps back. Like a crab. We come together because opposites attract. A, a, a trab. <laughs> MC Scat Crab. <laughs> All right. Any, anything else? No, I think we're done here. Okay. I, I didn't completely hate this episode. I just I didn't love it. I did. It was completely. no past tense. Well, no. Yeah. At least it wasn't two episodes. That is true. And it didn't. It didn't have a hat guy. Oh, thank goodness. Mark, I'm wearing a hat now. <laughs> I will always say this: if nothing else, episodes with Zach can get your Zach impression out, which will never stop delighting me. Mark, <laughs> call me Bibble. <laughs> All right. As ever, if you want to reach us, postatomichorror at gmail dot com. Yes. Uh, our website postatomichorror.com. Our Tumblr is postatomichorror.tumblr.com. I think that is everything. Next week, I believe we have a guest. We, we've gone without a guest for quite a few weeks, but uh, let me pull up the list real quick here. Yes, our, our pal Nathan will be joining us. Ah, wonderful. So looking forward to that. Uh, and with that, let's go. See you, folks. See you, folks. See you, folks. <laughs> The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun. <laughs> <laughs>